Welcome to the Source Podcast. At Springwise, our mission is to source, analyze, and curate emerging innovations from around the globe to keep our audience two years ahead of the curve. In every episode of The Source, our team at Springwise invites technology experts, entrepreneurs, and business leaders to explore the real-life challenges and opportunities across sector and tech. Today, we want to talk about the future of immersive technologies, a nascent industry that in five years is expected to be worth 85 to 90 billion in augmented reality and 10 to 15 billion in virtual reality. According to the report Immersive Economy in the UK, which was commissioned from the innovation foundation Nesta by Immerse UK, the UK has seen a 50% increase in the number of businesses incorporating the technology in the last six years. And it seems like the revolution has just begun. Hello and welcome to the first Springwise Source podcast in partnership with Digital Catapult, UK's leading technology innovation centre, driving early adoption of technologies to make UK businesses more competitive and productive to grow the country's economy. This is your host, Camilla Royce. We have with us today Linda Lejos, Managing Editor at Springwise, Rebecca Gregory-Clark, Head of Immersive Technology at Digital Catapult, and two startups in the AR and VR space. Janos Amstutz, the founder and CEO of Holomi, and Alex Kitching, co-founder and CEO of Loom. Welcome everybody and thank you very much for joining us today. Hello. Hey. Springwise has introduced virtual reality and augmented reality in their Tech Explain series. We are fortunate enough to have a subject expert with us today. Rebecca, can you tell us more? Immersive technology is actually quite a a wide umbrella of terms. It's come to mean virtual reality, augmented reality, mixed reality, um, depending on the vocabulary you're using. But actually, it encompasses a wide range of tech. So it includes the production tools that are actually needed to make this kind of uh, content and applications. It covers distribution, display, and underlying infrastructure technology that's needed to actually deliver it and and, uh, make sure it reaches people. And it also uh, covers new forms of interaction technology as well, so new kinds of human-computer interface, haptic technology that simulates a a feeling of touch, um, as well as the content and the applications themselves. Um, But ultimately, it's all about finding new ways of um, merging the virtual and the real worlds together. Earlier, we mentioned the impressive stats which illustrate the rapid growth of immersive technologies. Rebecca, where do you see the biggest disruption in tech and what are the drivers? Well, when it comes to what has driven forward this um, uh, latest wave of enthusiasm in in virtual and augmented reality, um, I think one of the most important drivers was the evolution in display technology. Up until now, virtual reality headsets, for example, have existed, but they've been restricted to academic circles. They're very complicated, very expensive. Um, In the last few years, these uh, evolutions in display technology have democratised these uh, headsets, these devices, um, and it's now in the hands of more creators than ever before and that's really driving um, what's going on here. Um, But I think as well as the display side of things, what's uh, really interesting now is actually the evolution in capture technology and and ever more sophisticated ways of creating this technology. That's what needs to catch up now and we're starting to see it. We will talk about startups in just a minute, but before we do that, 
Linda, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, well, I agree with Rebecca. Obviously, you know, since uh, we all know the Pokemon Go explosion, that was the first validation of consumer augmented reality. So the popularity of consumer smartphones has obviously been a big drive for the adoption of um, um, AR solutions. But I think also improvements in the hardware, more ergonomic design um, and lighter VR set. This also has been a big drive for the consumer mass adoption of, of immersive tech. And one thing that I find really interesting, you know, some people ask uh, if they see a winner in this like AR or virtual reality. And I see more um, maybe the two technologies, like two points in a spectrum that will eventually merge to open up new interactive multidimensional content experiences. Janosch, tell us about HoloMe and what you're doing with that at the moment. Great, thanks. So HoloMe is a software tool to create humans in augmented reality en masse. Uh, augmented reality has had an issue, and, and similar to virtual reality, is that the capture has been very expensive, uh, and that's really hindered the mass adoption of these technologies. Uh, so our software tool allows for the capture of humans at scale using a simple video camera, uh, and this allows the mass adoption of, of humans in augmented reality. Um, and Janos, in your past life, as it were, you were in global commodities trading. So how on earth did you get involved in immersive technology? It's, a, it's an interesting story, actually. I, um, I was a, a commodities trader in Switzerland, and, and following a, uh, a family um, tragedy, uh, I had a quarter-life crisis, if you would call it that, uh, and found that um, I potentially had um, more, uh, more career opportunities and more personal development opportunities uh, starting my own company. And that's where I, I got very interested in the augmented and virtual reality space about four years ago. Uh, and it kind of started to consume my life. Uh, when, you, when you're dealing with cutting edge, uh, world first technologies, it gets very exciting. And uh, being able to create a new wheel uh, rather than working in an existing wheel is, is very, very thrilling. And uh, a year ago, I decided to move to London and, and found uh, hollow me and, and, and pursue that dream. And that's where I am here today. Fantastic. And Alex, tell us about what you're doing at the moment. So I started working in virtual reality. The first project I've ever done was in uh, 2014. And um, back then I was based in, in Japan. Um, and in their lab they had a, an Oculus DK1 and Elite Motion. And um, me and my friend Dan were working actually on a project for dementia sufferers. And the whole goal of the project was around um, understanding the difficulties these people had with eating. Um, and so what we did, we, we, we kind of tried to eat food in VR. And um, what was surprising is that we realized that we could actually shift people's perception of taste and so if you, if you extrapolate this, like, we can actually help people reconnect with taste that they were experiencing when they were young. So for Alzheimer's, it's very interesting, for example, to help reconnect with memory. That was my first VR project. And then um, flash forward a few years, um, started working on Loom, which is a data exploration and visualization platform for VR which is about helping people which don't necessarily have the skills uh, to understand and better comprehend very complex data sets. That's very exciting. 
Linda, what, yeah, what do you like? I think actually it's very interesting because um, as Primwise we've seen lots of innovation, innovative use of um, um, you know AR and VR in, in in healthcare, and for me this will be one of the sectors that will be um, massively disrupted because you know it will raise standards of the care we receive and also open new opportunities for medical training and telemedicine. I mean, particularly I see huge potential for the transportive power of VR that can virtually whisk patients away from an hospital, which can be a sterile environment and encourage certain behaviors for example you know we've seen already use of virtual reality to treat patients with autism or to trigger memories in Alzheimer's patients or even to um, help people who suffer from acrophobia which is the fear of heights so I think there's, um, there's going to be you know endless applications of this technology in this sector. There's lots of potential to do good. Yes yes and we want that don't we? Yeah absolutely <laughs> just to follow up there's like also the power of VR for empathy as an empathy tool. And if this, Chris, you'll probably know more about this than I do. Um, but think, do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Like the thing he did for Syrian refugees? Yes, yeah. Clouds over Sidra. Yeah. And I think it was really cool because he could, I mean, very powerful, sorry, because you could like actually see what it's like. And it's a very powerful medium. I think to um, agree with what Alex was saying about um, the different uses, I, I'm not sure I would say that uh, we're focusing on gaming as an industry. Um, I, I think that sometimes it, it probably feels that way because it's probably the shortest leap. Um, the tools that you use to create this kind of thing, a lot of them originated in the gaming industry and also the audiences, therefore, it's the shorter leap for them. They're already reasonably tech savvy, they're already um, uh, uh, sort of okay with virtual worlds and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, we, we do need to be looking at other areas and I think a lot of areas are um, really interested in it. It's just a, a, slightly, a slightly bigger leap to get into it, I think. Looking beyond the UK, Linda, yes. what do you envisage happening globally? Um, well, already, as I said earlier, I mean, weekly we see um, a growing number of businesses trying to experiment with the technology. And I think, um, well, the US and China are still kind of leading, I guess, um, the implementation race. And, and some of the most interesting solutions, I think, has been developed in the area of work uh, to deal, for example, with potentially dangerous solutions. And one of my favorite examples is this um, AR display solution that has been created by the US-based Quake Technologies that offers real-time navigation for firefighters in smoke-filled environments, so helping them get into buildings and, and navigate better. But um, we've also seen applications, as I said, in healthcare, uh, for example, to help um, stroke victims to retrain the brain and muscle and, and help to speed up the recovery process. In Europe, beyond the UK, I think France, Germany and the Nordics are, have been quite active, experimenting with the technology in retail, media and the creative arts. An example in, in media uh, comes from Germany, where the Build the newspaper has been trying to make the physical paper a little bit more attractive by embedding an AR feature uh, in its sports pages, basically allowing the readers to see video highlights of the uh, German uh, football team uh, Bundesliga. Elsewhere, there's been also applications um, in the entertainment industry, for example, in sports, an Australian company is trying to create gamified experiences within stadiums, um, and of course in travel, Emirates Airlines has been trying to use the technology to kind of uh, offer a pre-flight VR tour 
of the aircraft and also to facilitate seat selection. Um, so quite uh, an increasing number of innovation. And I think in the future, as the technology expands, we will see also integration with other forms of technology. For example, we've seen something happening with uh, the combination of uh, AR with artificial intelligence, facial recognition, and uh, near-field communication to create smart labels that basically allow um, a product to literally read the emotion of the consumer and create uh, customised conversations. Janos, you've been working with some quite interesting clients. Have you touched, are you involved in any of these sectors at all, or are there any sectors that you were just dying to get your hands on? Yeah, very much both, I would say. Um, So our technology is focused on the capture of humans, so any industry where a human is an asset uh, for marketing, sales, uh, or communication uh, is interesting for our technology. We've been working primarily in the fashion retail space for the past six or so months. Uh, one of our major clients this year has been H&M Group, uh, which was a, a very exciting and interesting project for us. Um, the, the, the biggest challenge we've had with large enterprises so far has been the, the timescales involved in, in integrating new technologies. However, H&M have been very fast and very efficient. Uh, we, we pitched a project to them and within two weeks we had a global rollout of our technology. So in, in the fashion retail space, it was, uh, it was a very interesting um, scenario where I was, I was speaking at a conference sponsored by H&M. And a few weeks before the conference, I advised them that I'd like to unveil a fashion retail project and it would be a shame if it wasn't theirs. Uh, and that's how we managed to get that across the line very quickly. And so the fashion retail space has been very uh, interesting for us. Um, they're, they're very interested in our technology as a new way to view fashion, as a new way for fashion sales. Uh, the, the still image and the video have been around for a long time and will become more and more obsolete as augmented reality becomes a larger platform. Uh, on top of that, we've been working in the, the sports and media sector and also the educational sector. So. Augmented reality is, is really industry agnostic. Where, wherever uh, large corporates want to uh, move with the times and keep up to date with their demographics, they're going to have to move into augmented and virtual reality. And it's capable now. The time is now. There's over a billion smartphones which are capable of augmented reality technologies. So if, if industries aren't looking at this technology yet, they should be. And Alex, you're working more within the space of virtual reality. So tell us a bit more about Loom and what uh, you're up to. So yeah, Loom is, um, so as I said, it's a, a 3D data visualization and exploration software. So um, what we do is that we make um, very complicated data, the data that's generated by um, the world today, um, we make it very easy to understand and comprehend. So. Um, for analysts, it's, a, it's an opportunity to uh, find new patterns from the data sets. Um, and for the audience, so it might be decision makers within the company or the audience or pu- the public, uh, it's an opportunity to understand and memorize very complicated data sets. So, um, yeah, for us, it's been a very kind of like rocky ride, um, but we incorporated the company like three months ago. Uh, we started initially with science at the Science Museum where we realized that um, actually people were showing extremely interesting data still as 2D graphs, like basically showing Excel graphs to children. And so um, we thought there, were, there was definitely an opportunity there to kind of explore. And um, 
what started off initially as a visualization platform actually turns out that it's more than that and that the power for VR to find insights and new things from it, from the data sets. So we're writing, so like what, what's the journey for us now is that we're, we're work, working on a, writing a paper with Cambridge actually and explaining and detailing how virtual reality is actually helping them um, better predict things like the onset of arthritis and type 1 di diabetes, which I think for us is like started from, you know, oh, it wouldn't be nice to actually realise in that it's a really powerful medium to say that. So Rebecca, how do companies adopt this incredible technology? Well, it's quite, it can be quite challenging to adopt any new technology uh, into an, an existing system. Um, I think it's worth noting that um, business-to-business -business applications have a slightly different set of challenges to business-to-consumer applications. Um, so depending on who your audience is or who your users are, I think you'll come up across different problems in this area. Um, for instance, for business-to-business, um, -business, I think... Uh, we see a lot of companies uh, coming through, we work sometimes with uh, uh, corporate companies who have a particular challenge um, and sometimes it's in getting you know, initial buy-in to get pilots off the ground but actually that's, you know, we see a lot of people trying really interesting things at pilot stage but the real challenge comes, you know, how do you then prove your return on investment? Um, how do you uh, integrate it into a process that you already have? A pilot is one thing, but really disrupting your flow is a completely different thing. And a lot of big companies uh, struggle with that, um, particularly, I think, uh, yeah, where it's, where it's a business facing thing and it, in, it's going to disrupt a business workflow. Um, on the consumer facing side of things, I think it's a bit different. They still will have some of those challenges in terms of, uh, you know, the content makers still have to adapt to uh, making this kind of content. But of course, they also have uh, a big uh, a problem where it comes to mass adoption and ultimately how many people can actually see what they're making and therefore how much they can uh, realistically invest and justify uh, investing in it. Um, but I mean, it, there are there are other things as well. It, there there needs to be a sustainable ecosystem around this kind of uh, content making, particularly consumer facing content. Um, there needs to be new distribution models and options for distributing and getting out to consumers as well, um, which we've yet to kind of crack as an industry. Um, but it is you know it's possible. Uh, we get we're moving the right way. I mean we do. Um, uh, a whole range of things digital catapult exactly to try and help people overcome these barriers. We run uh, acceleration programs of different kinds. We have a sort of business acceleration program which both Alex and Janusz were on. That's Augmentor um, that helps early stage businesses um, to overcome some of these barriers. And then we have one called Creative XR as well, which was uh, more of a sister program that focuses on content acceleration and getting creative content projects off the ground and really trying to bring together that ecosystem that's needed to make it sustainable. And Linda, what barriers are you, do you feel are the, the most significant ones? Well, I think, you know, especially for smaller businesses, um, hiring costs and the length of development is still quite a big uh, barrier for adoption. But I think companies will start to, the technology will become more, more mainstream also in, in the moment that companies will see what are the potential gains. And especially, I think, in the manufacturing industry, there are already advantages in the sense of uh, reducing costs, for example, by training, doing collaboration on visual 
prototyping and testing ideas in real time, potentially reducing waste and also training in safer environment. This is also very important. Um, but I think it's interesting that we started to see um, tech companies also experimenting with new models of delivering the service. For example, there's a company uh, in Denmark called Real Fiction that is started to offer a subscription service called Magic as a Service. Basically, it's a SaaS platform that helps retailers implement customizable mixed reality solutions, so helping them to save time and money, so not having to invest in software and, and developers. So it's quite interesting to see there would be new and more affordable uh, models for uh, companies in every sector. Because as far as, as bringing new talent, you know, the new generation of, of people that are going to work on these amazing projects, there aren't really any courses, are there, on offer? Actually, I think we are starting to see an increasing number of university courses emerging, um, sort of immersive storytelling courses. Um, I think where it starts to get integrated into design courses and uh, uh, product design, I think that will be really interesting when that starts to happen. Um, I think it's a different thing when we're considering how to take people who are, are perhaps not university level but have existing skills and, and moving them across. That's a, a slightly different challenge, I think. There's also recently been announced in the UK um, the first um, industry centre of excellence for um, immersive experiences and training, uh, particularly with a screen-based focus that's been run by the National Film and Television School and uh, Royal Holloway. Um, and uh, that's a really exciting uh, idea, actually. That will run for five years, and that's really going to boost a lot of the skills in the UK in this area. And Janosch um, and Alex... We've touched briefly on what you've done, but what, what were your main challenges when you were starting your journeys? I'll start with you, Janusz. Uh, for me, firstly, the, the, the main challenge was moving to a new city in a new country and, and, and starting a business um, on a green field, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in terms of um, startup culture in the UK, uh, I don't believe that there's anywhere in Europe, at least, um, that has the, the sort of resources and support base that's available here. So in, in terms of a challenge, it was a challenge, but this was the best place to attack that challenge. Uh, in, in terms of the technology, the, the, the major challenge that we have for our clients and our prospective clients is educating uh, the, the, not only the benefits of augmented reality, but also the, the long-term wealth that it will create for them and, and, and getting them to see that it's not just an auxiliary uh, tool anymore. It's it's going mainstream, and so seeing it as as a gimmick or a, or a short marketing experience is is, is not right anymore. Uh, and so th- this has been a major challenge for us, especially with the large corporates, um, in in convincing them that augmented reality is one of the platforms of the future. And Alex, what obstacles did you face in the very beginning? Um, I think yeah, just like just like Janosch. Uh, for us, the way that we, we see it working on this every day is that we realize that it's, it's not a gimmick, it's not an, a, a nice thing to have. There's actual real benefit um, that, that will have long-term um, impacts on big companies and big corporations um, in a positive way. Um, so yeah, educating people to make them understand, or make them understand, make them you know, see the, same, the similar vision that we are seeing is I think a big part of our job and there's definitely ups and downs when you work in this field where you're like how do we you know how do we get them especially in VR how do we get them the headset not everyone has one like how do we we have to on top of convincing them to buy into our software and our idea we have to convince them to get the hardware 
but you know it's, it's only a matter of like short time and and smarter development to to kind of break down those barriers so I'm, I'm not worried I'm not worried <laughs> I'm not worried <laughs> So our mission at Springwise is to source innovations to drive positive change and there's certainly been lots of positivity we've been discussing today. In terms of sustainability, Linda, how do you see immersive technology having a positive impact? Well, I think the ability to test ideas and build prototypes in a, in a virtual environment has great advantages, I mean, in terms of reducing cost and, and potential waste. And I think there is a great potential for immersive technologies, and especially VR, to be used as an educational tool um, to raise awareness about pollution or, or other human impacts on, on nature, and we're aware of the, the problems that we are experiencing. And in terms of practical applications with immediate sustainability value, uh, we've already seen an example of AR being used by Lush, the UK-based cosmetics retailer, uh, to reduce plastic use. What they've done was basically to develop um, an app called Lush Lens that can display an AR page about the product's ingredients when customers point the smartphone to the, to the product. Obviously, um, this company already has products without packaging, but I think this example could be easily followed by other retailers to uh, remove packaging and help in the fight against plastic waste. I definitely agree on the um, on the on the ability of this kind of content to educate and and make people uh, aware of uh, particular issues is uh, is amazing. Just last week, I was lucky enough to go to the Raindance um, VR uh, Awards ceremony where I uh, gave out an award for best social impact experience, which went to the Evolution of Testicles by <laughs> uh, the Male Cancer Awareness Charity. It was supported by uh, Oculus for Good. Um, but it's a great piece about, uh, you know, raising awareness about um, cancer and it features some great testimonial content from survivors. Um, and actually we did some work earlier this year at Digital Catapult um, with Liminar Immersive looking at uh, emerging genres of uh, creative content and what seemed to be doing well with people. And a big theme was testimonial type content that um, sort of shares a real experience from a real person that if you're you know in that virtual space with them you're you'll really sort of connect with them in a different way and you'll feel what it was like and this was a brilliant example of that I think um, and done really effectively and actually it's also really funny uh, it was it's a really hilarious piece as well um, which you wouldn't expect so I do advise having a look at it um, but yeah I think there's uh, incredible uh, ability there to educate people and to create really memorable experiences. Yeah, and I, I was wondering actually, you know, there are, um, you know, I was recently looking, there was a video online about someone who was almost making the fun of virtuality because it's seen as we already, we use smartphones, tablets, you know, we are surrounded by digital devices and, and they're kind of distracting us from the reality. I'm kind of interested to know how, you know, we can break that barrier. I mean, really promote um, a use of the technology that um, is more useful and that, um, kind of helps to generate sort of a positive look onto how the technology can be implemented. Uh, in, in terms of augmented and virtual reality, uh, I think there's a misconception here that virtual and augmented reality are taking you away from from realism, and, and that that comes with the the current misconception as well that augmented and virtual reality are mostly game uh, applications. So the, the technologies now have uh, in, in some ways surpassed humans' real abilities. So not only are we seeing interesting use cases, but the technology allows us to have superhuman abilities. 
Uh, for example, our technology allows you to transport yourself in high definition across geographies. Uh, other technologies allow you to see at further distances than you usually would in a digital way, like an, like an eagle, for example. There's, there's hearing applications that have multi-directional sensors that you can, you can hear in ways a human could never hear before, and that, that's also classified as an augmented reality. So, so seeing all of these applications done for good uh, and not just gaming is, is really exciting for AR and VR, like Alex's application um, assisting dementia patients. Mm -hmm. Um, that, that's creating not, not a gamified world, but that's, that's creating a new reality for the person and assisting in, in a way that humans haven't been able to do in the past. I think um, uh, particularly with augmented reality, really, it's, uh, it's all about, it, it will completely revolutionise the way that we interact with and consume media of all different kinds, and that is not specific to gaming. That's anything that we can't use our smartphones for, can't use our TVs for. Um, uh, anything like that it could touch um, and I think you know that will be disruptive to any any uh, sector that has that at its core um, and it will the, the, at, the, at the end of the day the most successful things will be the the things that really uh, integrate well into our lives and that aren't considered sort of uh, you know, separate um, separate experiences, but they they are just intuitive and they have good interaction, accessibility at their core. That's going to be um, they will be the things that really succeed. Yeah, and I think for consumers, I mean, we've seen it with Holomia, I guess, you know, the opportunity to try before you buy it, you know, is, is an important thing because we do, you know, imagine how many people buy clothing and then return them, you know, and there's costs involved, you know, logistics. So I think um, there are definitely great potentials. For good use of uh, the technology. Yeah, I think we, we're we're seeing we're, we're seeing this as well. Where because we work a lot with uh, academics and we we kind of take out this content from really obscure scientific papers and we bring them into VR, which is you know a very natural way of interacting this kind of stuff because you just have your headset on and you can look around you and it just feels like you're in the real world, but in a virtual one. And I think there's a big power for VR to really get people in and, 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 and allow us to focus, which I, I don't remember what book it's in, but there's like one of the biggest problem of the next generation is gonna be attention span. Mm -hmm. you know, like we need to create the technology to be able to you know, focus and understand things, so. And what is the future of immersive tech? In your eyes. So the future of immersive tech is coming very quickly. The, the rate at which technology innovations are occurring, especially on the hardware side, have accelerated considerably in the last few years. Uh, up until now, the major barriers for, uh, for augmented and virtual reality have been the size of data uh, and the hardware devices that we're experiencing them on. And looking into the future, there's been speculation for years about head-mounted devices so augmented reality glasses for consumers. And there's been a lot of uh, patenting frenzy from a lot of the larger corps uh, recently. And there's rumors from uh, some of the biggest tech companies um, that the first consumer AR glasses will be released in 2020. Uh, but what, what really is the enabler for, for consumer head-mounted displays is really the rollout of 5G networks which takes the processing off a physical hardware device and puts it on the cloud. And that's a fundamental shift in the way that we've uh, addressed technologies, consumer technologies so far, is that we will be able to allow 
for very streamlined, thin glasses be worn on our heads and, and all of the, the computational power is sitting on the cloud. And, and this, this rollout of 5G coming very soon, uh, next year in the UK, uh, will really enable uh, consumer head-mounted displays to, to reach mass adoption. And, and this is a, a pivotal point, especially for augmented reality, where even though we have over a billion users on smartphones capable of augmented reality experiences, these experiences will be much more vivid and much more immersive uh, when, when they're overlaid over your real-world environment through your glasses. I would agree, I think, on um, when we're looking at uh, you know, the devices of the future, um, none of the devices we have today are the things we're going to be experiencing this stuff on in 10 years' time. But everything we're doing is a step towards that. Um, and just, just like on the other end of things, uh, you know, the creators of today will be doing different things to the creators of tomorrow. They might be, uh, have completely different tool sets, completely different ways of creating this kind of three-dimensional uh, uh, content and these experiences. Um, what's true with all of this is that the, the, the content, uh, the uh, devices that are going to really break through are going to be the ones that um, are best integrate into our daily lives and uh, they will have really intuitive interaction and uh, ergonomics and accessibility built into their core. Um, Head-mounted displays will only work if they fit into our lives, um, just like uh, AR experiences on phones will only work if that sort of fits into the way that we use our phones as well. Um, and that will continue to be true in the future. Yeah, I agree. Nobody wants to really walk around with a heavy headset on. And I think in the future, we'll definitely see as the technology gets more established and, and, and advanced, um, we see a convergence of different types of um, innovations and, and different types of technology coming together to enhance our content experiences. Oh, I would just like to add on, on the AR side, um, not to give the wrong impression that augmented reality will only be ready in, uh, when these head-mounted displays are available. Um, the stats that were mentioned earlier, the approximately 90 billion in revenue in, in AR, um, 90 to 95% of that will remain on smartphones. So smartphone experiences will be the dominant uh, driver for augmented reality technology in the coming years. Uh, and so waiting for head-mounted displays is, is not the correct way to, to look at the market. So yeah, working in VR, I think there's... Um there's something that we're very interested in, which is uh, cloud rendering, which is basically rather than doing the rendering on the computer, which is linked to a, to a VR headset, we, we ship all of this to a server farm in a very cold country. Um, and then with new technologies like 5G, which Janos um, was just mentioning, we can stream 360 videos into the headset at a very very high FPS uh, frames per second, which means that you don't get sick in the VR experience. So there's new technologies. These new technologies are going to mean that you know the size of what you're going to be wearing, um, the whole um, worry about wearing a big VR headset and being cut off from people around you uh, is going to slowly disappear. And I think that the the, the kind of overlap between VR and AR, which is some people call it MR, but I'm sure someone else is someone is going to come up with another name in a couple of years. I think the hit word is XR these days. Okay, yeah. XR, creative XR. Um, but yeah, and and so the, this is going to merge, and then you know headsets, whether it's a headset or something else, um, we will find out, I guess. Um, but what what was the company that that? filed all these patents. Was it, it's Apple, right? 
Apple is doing them. But so there's Magic Leap, the other one's Apple, which is the most recent one. Like, is that the one you were referring to? Yeah, so there's rumours that Apple are releasing their first AI headset in 2020. Um, they've made a, a large amount of acquisitions, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the lens space recently, mm-hmm. uh, along with um, bringing the, the design and uh, manufacture of their uh, processing chips in-house in order to control the, uh, the high-quality experience that, that Apple demands for organic reality. I think everyone has their eye on Apple, I think, uh, of course, because they are, they are a major player. They have uh, already a lot of market penetration, so um, we'll see what they come out with. But in the meantime, there's plenty of other devices for us to be playing with. It's not going to slow us down at all. Thank you very much to all our guests for joining us today. Linda Lijos, Rebecca Gregory-Clark, Janusz Amstutz and Alex Kitching. Thank you very much. It's been a fascinating discussion. Thank you. Thank you. And if this conversation has given you some inspiration, subscribe to our podcast series and go to springwise.com to sign up for our weekly newsletter. For everyone who would like to dive deeper into the world of innovations, use the code POD18 when you become a member of Springwise and we'll send you our latest top 10 feature on the future of immersive technology.